Travel, it's one of life's greatest pleasures. When we journey abroad, we discover new places and meet fascinating people, but we also gain perspective and take on a wider view of the world around us. That was Trevor Ranges, and I'm Scott Coates. After more than 25 years living and working in Asia, we've developed an amazing network of interesting characters throughout the region. Talk Travel Asia is our way of sharing them with you. Plug in and get connected to hot tips, interesting perspectives, and expert travel advice as we cultivate travel insight through intelligent conversation. Right around 10 years ago, Scott and I started a podcast together, Talk Travel Asia. Around 25 years ago, Scott and I both moved to Asia. But even before that, we each made our first trip to Asia. A few weeks earlier, Scott shared his first experiences traveling in Asia. And tonight, I'm going to share mine with you. This is Trevor Ranges, co-host of Talk Travel Asia, along with my trusty co-host, Scott Coates. How's it going, Scott? Very well, Trevor. Aloha. I'm so excited we're doing these. And I've said this probably no less than 50 times on this show, but an idea comes up at first kind of go, yeah, I'm not sure there's enough there. And then all of a sudden we have a super fun episode. And I really enjoyed recounting my first trip to Asia and those countries. Like I went to Japan, to Tokyo and Hong Kong and KL and Malacca and uh, Singapore and then off to Australia for 10 months with some New Zealand in there and then hit Thailand on the way back, some of the Southern Islands. And that was real fun. So, you know, I'm looking forward to, to learning about yours because strangely, despite us talking for almost 200 episodes, I'm not so sure I actually really remember or ever knew all the details of your, your first trip to Asia. Yeah. Yeah. You know, on a few episodes uh, that we've done, like the tantalizing travel tales, one, two, three, and four, I think, a couple of the tantalizing travel tales that I've shared before were from this first trip. Um, so I think like some of this stuff had been touched on here and there, but you know, like not all of it, obviously, I don't even think I could share all of it today just cause you know, so many things happen on that first trip that are remarkable because everything is so different and new. And, and I was, pretty adventurous man I, I i really just went for it uh I, I didn't hold back and i got to see some pretty amazing things uh probably only some of which i'll, I'll be able to remember today but i think that's kind of part of the fun of, of doing the show and uh, and doing this show is to kind of relive some of those memories and uh maybe compare and contrast them to uh what it's like in asia today and uh, what traveling here is like today yeah, indeed. And we chatted for about 30 minutes on the episode about my trip and you can only include certain things, but hey, it opens up the door to sequels if we need it. But just before we get into Trevor's trip, I want to thank Andrew H and other patrons like him. So what is a patron? There are people that donate a few dollars a month or even way more than that. And it helps keep Talk Travel Asia talking travel because helps cover all the costs that Trevor and I share out to do this. But patrons also get a special bonus episode in between all of these episodes, a video sometimes, sometimes it's just chit chat, but it is worthwhile. So thank you, Andrew H and others. And thank you for considering becoming a patron. So Trevor, let's jump in the deep end here. When did you go on your first trip to Asia and how old were you? Yeah, I was, it was 1996. Uh, I thought I was 25, but my birthday's in October. So uh, I was 24 years old at the time. 
And uh, I was in Vermont and I, I helped my dad uh, build a house and I, I had a bit of cash on me and I felt like doing some exploration of the world. And first I'd set my sights on Africa and I was mm -hmm. thinking of traveling by land from like Morocco down the west coast of Africa, uh, which I was, I didn't know who I was going to travel with. I was thinking of going solo. That was a bit ambitious, perhaps. Mm. Uh, I, I became friends with the, my friend David Ugarte, who his mother's Argentine and his father's Brazilian. And he's like, no, we should go to Argentina and we're going to drive from Vermont, you know? And oh. that was going to be crazy. Like we were going to go, yeah, we were, we were going to go on this big, crazy, epic adventure. And then, uh, and then his dad, talked him into getting this job as a microscope salesman in South America as a, like Nikon rep or something. Yeah, so he bailed fun. on me and I'm like, ah, and then I was going to do Central America solo. But back in like night, this is 1996, man, like Guatemala, Guatemala, Honduras, these, these areas were not necessarily safe to travel to. So I went up to Lake Tahoe for a while and bumped some chairs as a chairlift operator. And then, uh, and then I, from there, I, my sister's, friend he had been to bali recently and, and he was telling me about bali and i was like oh man he's like yeah surf is great he's telling me about the culture how beautiful the food mm. and i was like all right maybe maybe i could do that so i started planning a trip i'd go to hawaii uh for a few weeks and just get in surf shape and then uh and then i was gonna go to bali and i i, I just got a bunch of you, you did yours with a round the world ticket and i remember looking That's at right. those i just i seemed to like i stitched together a bunch of one-way tickets kind of so i i got a ticket from honolulu to to bali and then from bali to bangkok cool and then i bought it and then i bought a ticket from singapore to perth oh. and then from and then from sydney to queenstown new zealand oh wow and then from and then from auckland to fiji so i kind of like other than that denpasar one like i never flew in and out of the same airport. Like I'd fly into Bangkok, but then I'd have to figure out how to get to Singapore, you know, and then I, I flew into Perth and then I had to figure out how to get to Sydney. And, uh, and I tried to find people to come with me, but in the end, uh, nobody was up for it. So I, I, I did, uh, just about a year traveling around Asia solo with, with that, not much of a plan other than those plane tickets. That is impressive. Uh, one, I couldn't have done a trip then solo maybe Well, you're a little older than me. So, Maybe, but I like that one-way thing because I'm, I'm curious how you got through that. We don't really have time, but I remember it was a real big thing to be able to show proof of onward travel. So that's neat that you just kept picking up these tickets. But then again, as listeners of the show know, that your parents are the masters of sort of just getting tickets one ways uh, here and there. So you hit Bali first, is that right? Yeah, I went to Bali first again because Jordan suggested it and, uh, you know, I wanted to surf. I've surfed my whole life. Uh, I, uh, Bali was one of the few places I knew a little bit about just because I knew okay. about like Uluwatu and Padang Padang. Like some of these surf spots in Bali are, are world famous. So I'm like, I'm going to Bali first. And uh, Bali's pretty hectic and it's quite exotic. But, uh, you know, like I had been planning Central America. I'd been planning like Africa. And so... Bali and, and a lot of Asia was, at least I was mentally prepared for some culture shock, you know? Okay. And Bali was fun, you know, like I, I, I stayed in Kuta at first and Kuta beach is like the, the tourist ground zero of Bali. And, 
and that kind of sucked. Uh, I went up to the volcanoes. I, I did like Chandidasa and like uh, the East Coast uh, snorkeling kind of spots and some mm-hmm. of those temples uh, like up on Gunung Agung. I stayed inside the volcano down on Lake Batur mm. and I did like the sunrise hike to the top of, of Lake Batur. Uh, we cooked our eggs in like a steam vent. Like you can boil eggs in a steam oh, vent yeah, yeah. because the the volcano is like active, you know. And uh, I did get down to the bouquet and I did a bit of surf. Uh, but I, I, I did a mostly we partied a lot, man. Like we went back to Kuda and, and we you can surf in Kuda and, and but you can party too and probably too much party. You know, I got robbed one time by some little kids. Oh, wow who like picked my yeah a bunch of little kids trying to sell me like bracelets like one of them picked my pocket another time like some dude like broke into our room while we were oh, sleeping no. and like he, he took my friend's backpack outside and cut it open with a knife because he had like a padlock on his bag to keep it shut and I, that that reminds me you know i bought this thing that was like it's a mesh it was like a mesh wire like a fishnet kind of thing that you could put around your backpack and then it had a cable that you could like secure you could secure it to like a your bed frame or something like that you know Mm -hmm. and that prevented this dude from dragging my bag outside too and it prevented him from cutting my bag open he and i lost some money like that was in my jeans on the floor you know um but that that backpack thing that i bought uh, was pretty handy that's pretty spooky though having someone in your room while you're sleeping like i mean that's a different thing. It's one thing I too. could rip off attempts or being pickpocketed, but knowing someone came in your room and was there for a while while you were sleeping, like, whew, that would spook me off. Yeah, but uh, otherwise, like you said on your show, like places in Asia have a smell. I very distinctly remember, like, as soon as you get out that Denpasar airport, like, boom, there's like Bali smell. Like, Bali smell. Oh, it's like yeah. smoked peanuts or something. It smells like smoked peanuts. You know, like they, they like their food. I definitely remember like Balinese food being tasty uh, and, and getting like mixed shakes, like a mixed fruit shake on the beach after you surf. Oh. Like, oh, there's, I drink like three of those things. They were so good. So, Bali was a good introduction. It was like, I don't know. You know, I, I climbed the volcano. I did some surfing. I did some partying. I, I definitely didn't see it all, but uh, but it was a good like first stop. And I, I spent a month actually in Bali. So uh, I think four weeks was the exact time. But uh, yeah, that was a good like first first leg. Yeah, that's a great start. And you know, you mentioning that fruit shake does bring back memories. I don't think I'd ever had you know a blended whipped kind of fruit shake before I came to Asia. And now I remember having them probably in Malaysia and Singapore and then particularly in Thailand at the end of that trip. But that, yeah, that was exotic. That was different. That was cool. So I like that you hiked Mount Batur. You cooked that egg in the steam vent. That's pretty funny. So after your month in Bali, where did you head off to? Yeah. So I, I had a one-way ticket to Bangkok and then I had the ticket from Singapore to Perth. Right. And mm-hmm. I didn't have any real timeline. They were like open tickets and I, I did zero research. I'd never, I don't think I could tell you a single thing about Thailand back then. I don't think I knew anything about Thailand, to be honest. And uh, I knew a little bit about Singapore, I guess. And, and you know, maybe some of the colonial history of, of the region. Uh, but Bangkok, Thailand were never colonized. So I just, I you know, I was on the airplane, which landed at like midnight or something. I didn't even know where I was going to stay. Like while waiting for my bags, I was like, hey, people I met on the airplane, where, where are you guys staying? And I just followed them to... Soy Rambu tree, which I didn't know was Soy Rambu tree at the time, but that's like the Kaosan Road area. 
I don't remember mm-hmm. what the name of the place is called, but I could show you. It's like right at the bend on Rambu Tree. Um, okay. In the it was just down the there temple, the other week. Kind of. And what I, I, I stayed the night there. I stuffed, because ha- I was traveling with like camping gear. I camped. I hitchhiked a lot of this trip. I did some crazy oh, stuff. Wow. And, and so on like my tent and everything, I was like, I'm not going to need this for Thailand. So I just stuffed it in a locker at that guest house. And then huh. first thing the next morning, I'm like, right to the train station, because I was going to go up to Chiang Mai, which I didn't know anything about. But I was like, okay. let's go check out the north before I head south, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was funny because I, I took a tuk-tuk. And I remember, like, it was like, rah, rah, and we're, like, weaving in and out of traffic. And, and we, like, cut this guy off. And he almost, like, crashed. And I remember turning around and, like, going, ha, like, laughing at him and stuff. and Because he, he looked terrified, but he was laughing. And that dude had the seat on the train next to me. No way. Uh, and I was, he- yeah, I was headed to Ayutthaya. So Neil, this English bloke, uh, about the same age as me, he was literally like at the like the seat next to me, and I'm like, oh my god, we almost died back there. And uh, and we went to Ayutthaya together um, to see the ruins there, and that was really cool. And I remember I met a piano tuner from Kansas who wow. who had grown up with Bob Dole, Senator Bob Dole of Kansas. Uh, this okay. old guy. Yeah, because I was a political science uh, student and whatnot. And then uh, from there, yeah, we, we went to Khao Yai National Park, which it could be Thailand's oldest national park, but it's one of the early big famous national parks in Thailand. Yeah, yeah, we, we hitchhiked there, which <laughs> which from is a my first over to Khao Yai. Yeah, and like on the and road in the back of like farmers pickup trucks with like rice bags and shit i remember and like it was ridiculous and then we had to walk we did a lot of walking too and finally we made it to the park entrance and we're like hey you got because we'd heard there was like bungalows there to stay at so i think i've shared this story on on one of the tantalizing travel tales but me and neil and two other random people the four of us stayed in this uh this little wooden shack and they had like some food stalls in the park nearby that we had dinner at and and there was these dudes with like guns and we're like hey what's what's up with you guys and the guns and they were uh they worked for like the wildlife department and they were hunting poachers like they were going out mm. looking for poachers cuz like cow has got elephants and lots of wild game and stuff mm-hmm. so these guys were like hey you know they, they told us that the elephants visited like a, a salt lick that was like a kilometer or so down the road from where our bungalows were. So like in the middle of the night, the four of us decided to like go and see wild elephants in the middle of the night in this national park. And uh, we, we were like terrified of like tigers because they may still have tigers there now. I, they I definitely still had tigers. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we were like walking around, we we're terrified of the, the tigers and you shine your flashlight in the forest as you're walking along the dirt road and you'd see eyes reflecting in, in their deer or something right but we heard an elephant like squeak and it scared the crap out of us because we're like well the elephants are probably just walking down the road and if we startle them they could like stomp us to death you know so we went back to the bungalow and the next day we went to the national park headquarters and we're like uh hey so like theoretically if we decided to walk around at night would would that be a safe thing to do and she's like, oh, no, uh, tigers. And we're like, yeah, but four people with flashlights, like making noise because we were, we were nervous that night and we were giggling and trying to make noise to scare off tigers, I guess. And she said, no, she said, uh, tigers aren't afraid of anything. They said, if there's a hungry tiger, four people, no problem. It would attack and kill one of us. And she's like, as a matter of fact, 
like nine months earlier, 18 months earlier, I don't remember, it wasn't that long ago, someone had dropped their pencil and it rolled underneath the, the cabin, one of the cabins, and there was a tiger under it and it whacked somebody and snapped their neck and dragged them off. <laughs> and we're like, wow, come on. So, so me and Neil ended up renting bikes that day. And we were, uh, we were like doing a little like off-roading and there was like this high grass on my left and I came to like a little stream on the right and I was like, oh, what a beautiful spot. This is probably where animals come to like drink water and then tigers jump out of the grass and kill them, you know? And I looked down and there's these giant paw prints and now I think they were probably like sun bear paw prints maybe but there was big like bigger than my hand paw prints of some sort in the kind of mud from the night before i guess and uh, i was like neil you know you're a nice guy but if a tiger comes i'm pushing you in front of him (laughs) but uh, yeah it was pretty fun it was a cool experience that's pretty exciting because i didn't even know of kao yai in my first couple trips that's neat that you found out about kao yai so you're at kao yai how do you get over to Chiang Mai from there? Yeah, you know, we got uh, back on the train uh, and got up to Chiang Mai. And then uh, we decided we wanted to go trekking because, like, hill tribe trekking is always the thing that, that, was that Chiang Mai was was known for. Yeah, so we did this multi-day trek, and uh, we went with this group of guys who had just graduated from UCLA. They'd all gotten their MBAs. So me and all these MBA guys and Neil and I went on this trek and we ended up getting taken to like a a village where every single villager was addicted to opium. And most of the villagers grew their own opium to feed their addiction. And they had to walk like a day from where they were to like their fields, which were either like near the border with Burma or across the border uh, with Burma. Um, so we may have tried some of the local crops while we were in that village, which was a very interesting experience in and of itself. I mean, like I was showing these children in this tribal village postcards from Thailand. Like there was postcards of like the Grand Palace and, and oh, Koh Samui right. and places like that. And, and I think that they thought that that's where I was from, that I was showing them like photos of my home because they had never seen Bangkok. They had no, I, they, I couldn't think they would imagine what Bangkok would look like, you know? So that was yeah. kind of neat. Part of that trek, we did uh, bamboo rafting. Bamboo rafting was a classic, was a thing. I think, I think it's still a thing. I think that's the Nam Peng River. Does that sound? Familiar. The Ping River is the big one that runs through Chiang Mai. Probably wasn't that though, yeah. and, and I'm just blanking out on the name of the other one. But there is one or, you know where, north and th- west. There's the Elephant Life, Elephant Nature Park. Is that what it's called? Yeah, Elephant Nature Park, the one where. Yeah, I think there's rafting that goes right by there. I think we actually, because I did raft there many, many, many years later, and I think I was like, this is where we rafted like back in '96. So th- yeah, and that, that was pretty sense. cool because. <laughs> And I remember I was wearing a baseball cap and like we went under these branches and this spider web like wrapped around my head and the spider like from the brim of my hat, it was like boing. So the spider was like an inch from my nose and the whole web was wrapped around my head and I almost ended up in the river. Uh, so that was kind of my second close encounter with, with wildlife in Thailand. Uh, but it was all, yeah, it was all very exciting. That's fun. So you finish your trekking, your bamboo rafting, Etc. And where do you head to from there? Yeah, we went back to Bangkok because I had all that stuff stuffed in that locker oh, in, the, right, in that right, Khao San right. Road area. And then it happened to be the Fourth of July, so I was like, "Hey, let's Sweet. let's celebrate the Fourth of July somewhere." So, like, I 
again, I didn't plan anything. I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't like, I had bought a rough guide to Southeast Asia and I remembered I, I just ripped all the maps out. I ripped all the map pages out that I thought I might need and stapled those together. So I had just like a bunch of maps, you know, Good move. and, and one of them, and one of them had this, this bar called Woodstock in Bangkok. And I was like, Woodstock, that's where we're going to go celebrate the 4th of July. Good call. And, uh, I think we took a tuk-tuk, which is far from Rambu Tree to, to, to Nana Plaza. Very. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny because Neil was not into, because Nana Plaza is kind of like a girly bar thing. And Neil was a chaste fellow, it seemed. So he was all like, no, we can't, can't hang out here or something. Um, so I, you know, my impressions from Bangkok, we ended up leaving, went back to Kawasan by tuk-tuk. And then, and then we both jumped on a train the next day. So I really only spent like 12 hours that first night in Bangkok before I went to Chiang Mai and then on this return trip, maybe 12 hours in Bangkok just to do this 4th of July. I, so I don't remember anything about Bangkok. I didn't know that there was like go-go bars or I, I don't remember anything about the food there. We were just like, boom, on a train to Samui. And I remember that <laughs> because we took like fifth class. I don't know if it was fifth class, but whatever the lowest, cheapest the seats on a Thai seat. train are. Yeah. I want a, I want a nice wooden bench with like old, Thai people like sleeping on me. <laughs> yeah. Good call. <laughs> yeah. It was 12 hours. It was brutal. And then we went to Chowang Beach, like at the south end of Chowang Beach. There used to be Charlie's Huts, Charlie's Huts 2, Charlie's Huts 3. Oh, wow. Uh, Chowang is like the big popular, most touristy place of Samui, right? But back in 96, it still was, I guess, but you, it was like $5 bungalows on the beach pretty much. Sure. And that was fun. Yeah, Samui was fun and it beautiful. It was it's still beautiful, I think. But uh, yeah, I was stoked to be in, in. That was that was the Thailand for me. You know, I, I had a great time in Khao Yai and Chiang Mai and stuff. But like Samui was was beautiful. I really enjoyed that there. Um, but I think it was a short stop. Uh, Neil disappeared one day. He left me a note quoting like the Hobbit. You know, like the trail goes on and on. Whatever. <laughs> he left me really? some Hobbit note. Yeah, and disappeared. And then at first I was like, oh shit, maybe he robbed me because uh, you know, like the guy just bailed. But no, my stuff was all still there, and uh, never saw him again, unfortunately. Wow. So you traveled together a long time, and then he's just Thailand. gone with yeah. a note. Yeah. But again, like on your show, we talked about this, like there was no internet back then. There was like, if like he could have given me his parents home address maybe, and then maybe we could have kept in touch somehow. But like, like we were saying, even keeping in touch, like I, I don't know, I'm not good at long distance relationships, I guess, but like I I called my parents every once in a while. Um, But you know, like I might've called them from like Samui, let's say, but I, I was headed south and I ended up in like Sumatra and, and I didn't call my parents for like a couple of weeks at one point where like I was like in some remote area of Sumatra and I'm like, God, you know, I'm like, nobody knows where I am. Like nobody has any idea where I am. And, and, and that was, I didn't even know where I was. It, that, that was kind of a crazy feeling back then, you know? Yeah, that is. It's, it's hard to believe now that we are just so used to not only the ability to call, but have a video call and you know, text messages in the moment you can, I mean, you can call anyone, anytime video. Now we just forget that it was kind of expensive to call someone and you had to then find a, a place where someone had that service. And yeah, you could be out of communication for quite a while. Yeah. I sent postcards, of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a monster. Yeah. So, so next stop, I went to Penang in Georgetown in Malaysia, right. which is a, an Island on the, the Northern uh, tip there. And that was for the Atlanta Olympics. I was there oh, really? for the torch lighting. That's the only part of the Olympics I saw was that guy shoot the arrow 
Remember, he like shot an arrow to light the torch to start the Atlanta Olympics, kind of nineteen ninety six. Yeah, was that the one that and Ali then, uh, was that? Yep, I think so. Okay. Uh, and then the, the, the highlight of that trip was I took a bus all the way out to the west coast of the island, and there's some beautiful beaches over there. And and like I I was scouting for camping. I was gonna go camp on the beaches out on the west coast there, and uh, I found a beautiful beach, and I was all for it. But I. I, for some reason, I, I had got it in my head. Like, I think I saw that there was like ferries to Sumatra and I never even thought I would ever go to Sumatra, but I was like, whoa, that's like, I'd heard of Nias. Nias is an island midway down Sumatra on the Indian Ocean coast. That's like world famous surfing again. But like Sumatra is a big island, like getting around Indonesia is like, it's tricky. And just getting to Medan, I was like, right, let's jump on a ferry and go to Sumatra. So I, I, I went there and just almost on a whim and uh you know i got a, a hotel room and i remember like it was so hot and again there's that those exotic smells and then right. it, it was in the afternoon and they it's a muslim country and they were doing the muslim like prayers like that they play over like the loudspeakers and stuff right. and that was one of those moments again where i was like god again like nobody knows where i am and i'm in this place where i never heard muslim prayers blasted over the loudspeakers and and i'm like where am i even going i'm like what am i doing here like what's next i'm like what's the plan so i don't remember i guess there was two things that i knew about other than neos and i don't remember maybe it was from the rough guide uh the one was bukit lawang mm-hmm. which is where they have a orangutan rehabilitation center that like leonardo okay. caprio like sponsors and stuff but back in back in 96 you know i mean there wasn't too many tourists going there and then lake toba which is this massive volcanic lake in the middle of of northern central sumatra those are the two places i was like "Ah, i'll go check that out so you know i went to the bus station and i was like all right i'm gonna go to one of these two places but it it, the language like nobody in madan was could speak english like i couldn't i didn't know what i was doing I, i got on a bus i was hoping i was going the right way um i made it to bukit lawang i think almost certainly I've shared that as a tantalizing travel tale because yeah. you know, we, we were, we were in the forest with wild orangutans and the trees like all around us, like baby orangutans. We were feeding bananas by hand and it was incredible. That was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. We went, or we, it was me just cruising around by myself. I went to, right, to Lake right. Toba from there and that was crazy. Cause I'm doing like, I, I did a lot of hitchhiking when I could, but then I'm just taking like local buses and I got on this bus to Lake Toba and it was so crowded that there was no seats and, and the bus was only like five feet tall inside. So I, I just sat on the floor, like next to people's legs for like hours and hours. And I finally got a seat next to some guy and he had this box. And the box was like rustling and I'm like, what's in your box, dude? And, and he had like baby chickens in his box. And I made friends with this guy with his box of baby chickens. And that's like not something that happens every day in, in America necessarily. Although it is we not. do have chickens, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then like I got just dropped off after a couple of buses at the, the rim of this volcano. And I remember like, all right, it's like I had to walk down some road to get, I, I don't know, I bought some fruit. And the fruit, like you, this fruit shakes we talked about earlier, but I bought like passion fruits. I had like a big bag of passion fruits and like passion fruits are such an exotic, like tasty thing. You know, it's just like you rip them open and suck all the juicy stuff out of them. Like it was amazing. Uh, and down on the lake, I spent a few days there. I told the story of haggling for the souvenir I bought there, which was like the shaman's stick. I remember uh, that. Maybe that was on the shopping episode. Uh, 
And then the Walls ice cream song. I met this dude at the lake. There was like nobody at the lake. There was no people there. And and this one guy, an Englishman I met, were like, hey, let's go walk to this tribal village. And it was like a million degrees out. And we're on this hot, dusty road. And we have no idea how far it is. And it's just like, oh, my God, are we going to ever get there? And then I start going, na, na, na. Which is like the Walls ice cream truck song in Asia, you know? And he's like, stop it. Like, don't do that, you know? And then we're walking a little longer. And then I'm like, dude, do you hear that? I'm like, it's the Walls ice cream truck. I hear a Walls ice cream truck. And he's like, shut up, you know? And then this motorbike comes putting along and it's a Walls ice cream truck motorbike with a little sidecar with refrigerated thing. Yeah, we just totally like crushed a bunch of ice creams that was awesome um yeah lake toba beautiful amazing place <laughs> i don't know i don't want to burn through all this there's so much to, to share but there's still a lot of this trip left so let's keep going should we yeah i'm envious of sumatra I've, I've never made it there so you wrap up sumatra and where does your trip take you next yeah you know it's a bummer that i didn't get to surf again like with bali too like in bali it was easier to rent boards but like you know like this is the 90s and it was tricky just getting around i had no idea how to get to the beach so i went back to malaysia because i had to still get to singapore right that's the plan Uh, so i went across i went across to uh the east coast of malaysia and i went to the perhentian islands which uh you visited many years later yeah 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 so the perhentians that was the first place that i got to camp so that was, I was stoked on that. And I ended up That's camping great. down the whole, I camped, I camped along the whole East coast of Malaysia on beaches pretty much. Uh, Sweet. like usually near a guest house or a hotel, like on the Prehension islands, uh, there was some fancy resort and I like, I camped on, on the beach near this fancy resort and I just ate at their, I ate at their restaurant every day, you know? And so that's how I spent money. And, and that's how they sort of tolerated me for a few days. And then I was like, right, I'm off to the other side of the Island. And then I camped, I pitched my tent on the other side of the Island. And one night this huge storm came in and it was just like buckets, like coming down like monsoon, like you'd never seen as an American, like you'd never seen rain, like, Asian monsoons, right? And uh, and I'm like, God, my tent. I hope it's it's North Face, but I'm like, I hope that tent's okay because everything I own's in it, you know. And uh, and the owner comes running into the restaurant and he's like, the boat, the boat. Like his boat had like capsized, and so he needed all of us to like go out there and and help save his boat. And then on the way back, I was like, God, I better check my tent. And there was like a river running through the the, the right side of the tent. Unfortunately, I put all my stuff on the the left side because it was on a little bit of an incline. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> I ended up sleeping that night in like on a bench in the, in the restaurant, that place didn't even have running water. It just had a well and like your shower oh, wow. was just like throw the bucket down a well. It was pretty rustic. Prehensions were spectacular back then. Uh, it was beautiful. Um, yeah. And then I just continued down the East coast of Malaysia. I, I guess I pretty much took public buses and, and I stopped here and there where there was guest house where, you know, I could camp somewhere nearby. Um, I remember right. looking for the giant leathery turtles. They have like the world's largest turtles there. Oh, really? Didn't um, know that? Yeah. They like lay their eggs on the beach there in Malaysia at night. And you're supposed to do it at night. So you walk around at night. So I'm like, perfect. Cause you know, I'm camping guy. And I remember one day, like, uh, near where I camped, there was a, like an estuary, like, uh, where a river flowed out into the ocean. And I remember I spent one like whole day, like just building this monster sandcastle, right. And swimming in the river and the, and the, and the ocean. And this is the throwback to the cow and the tigers. Cause I went to the restaurant 
for dinner that night at the guest house and he's like oh where have you been all day and i was like oh i was building the <laughs> sand castle and swimming in this river and he's like oh crocodiles <laughs> and i was like what oh, really like, yeah man there's like crocodile yeah like estuary crocodiles they like that type of terrain you know <laughs> and that kind of prepared me for australia where there is crocodiles as well but yeah i was like geez i never even thought that like swimming in the ocean would could get me killed i mean sharks right but sharks are unlikely to eat you crocodiles much more so yeah they like people those crocodiles so you avoided the crocodiles you built your sandcastle was that the end of the trip or was there somewhere else yeah i was singapore was the last asia stop because that's where i was flying out to ah, Perth, okay. right so right um I, koala koala teranganu maybe is the la- i don't know there's I, I stopped i passed through a couple of, of cities there's one that's right before Singapore, and I, I spent a few hours there. I left my bag at a, at a bus station, and I met these Johor Bahru. Yeah, okay. I met these guys, one uh, Swiss guy and one Dutch guy, that were also on their way to Singapore. And I remember, like, when we got back, we left our bags at the bus station all day. And then I remember, like, about to get on the bus to Singapore, and I was like, you know, like, Singapore's got the death penalty for, like, everything i'm like we should probably like make sure someone didn't stick drugs in our bag and use us as mules you know because i'm like right you know the inconvenience the inconvenience of unpacking right now um could save us you know 50 years of wishing we had done so and and the only thing that sucks about this now i never thought about this before but when i got to australia i spent like five months camping in australia too but my, my tent poles disappeared like somewhere between hmm. like singapore and and perth like i didn't know until like my first night out in the gibson desert that like i'm like hey wait where's where's my tent poles you know and maybe when i was unpacking maybe it was in johor Bahru that when i was checking my bag maybe i i left the tent poles there that probably is it i never even realized that until right now and it was tough because wow. i spent a lot of nights in australia sleeping outdoors because of that mistake but uh yeah we made it to singapore it was really interesting. I remember one thing was I, I went to the movies and it was the first time I'd gone to the movies where you had to like pick your seat. Oh, uh, right. Like, you, you, could we take that for normal now, right? But mm-hmm. like back in America, back in the day, you just sat wherever you wanted, you know? So getting assigned seating, I was like, ooh, Singapore is so strict. And I saw uh, the cable guy, uh, the movie with uh, Ferris Bueller and uh, Jim Carrey. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Broderick and Jim Carrey. Strange, my first assigned uh, seating was in Malaysia, and it was a Jim Carrey movie, Dumb and Dumber. Huh, okay. Uh, and then, like, Singapore's crazy expensive, like, alcohol and stuff. So we went to a bar called Ice Cold Beer. And uh, the deal was they gave you a liter of beer. It was, like, I don't know, like $38 or something like that. Um, and if you could drink it in 60 seconds, it was free. Ooh, bad idea. Uh, yeah, but so I was like, all right, I'm in. Because like, the, otherwise, like, it was so expensive, the beer. So I'm like, I'm in. I'm buying this liter. And they had like the records on the wall. And like some U.S. Marine had done it in like four seconds or something like that, you know. So I'm like, all right, six, 60 seconds. But the trick was that like it's ice cold beer. So part of oh. the strategy was like warming it up with your hands. But like you, you only had a certain amount of time, right? And And then it was once you realize that you're not going to be able to do it, you have to stop yourself because you're going to want to spend the next hour drinking a $38 beer. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So I I didn't make it through, but I don't know. Once I was drunk, we spent a bunch of money and and then we were wandering around and I had to pee and like, 
there i couldn't there's no public toilets man and like singapore like they'd kill you for peeing in public but i had to and and so i did so on my first trip to singapore i i did something i probably shouldn't have done but i had to go and i found a little alleyway and i peed in in public um, but I managed to get away and uh, I got my flight to, to Perth and uh, Australia. That was a whole another adventure for a whole another podcast. Uh, but I, I think I did well on that uh, ticket to Denpasar, ticket to Bangkok, and then uh, ticket out of Singapore. I think uh, winging it for, I don't remember how many months that was. That was probably uh, four months total, one month in Bali and then maybe yeah it was it was quite an adventure I, I i left out a bunch of stuff I, like in sumatra there was this one time i saw this monkey fight i mentioned monkeys on your podcast it, like mm-hmm. monkeys being something that was that's something you're not used to right seeing monkeys and monkeys are yeah. here and there and monkeys are something to beware uh so i was going to these like bat caves in sumatra and i was walking through a like a rubber plantation forest and i heard all this like commotion and there was like a monkey fight man like this one monkey like had pissed off the other monkeys and they were like chasing him through the canopy and then someone caught up with him and like threw him out of the tree and he like landed on the ground and then all these other monkeys jumped on him it was just like this tumble like this tumult of like brawling monkeys screaming and beating the crap out of each other and it kept getting like closer and closer to me and i was like hiding behind this tree i'm like god don't like don't come here like that like they were it, it was it was terrifying it was and you know and like things like that just don't happen every day back home it was it was an adventure no they don't i saw monkeys the other week and when they're not scared of people they scare me um trevor that's a hell of a story i mean from bali and sumatra and thailand and singapore and malaysia and camping that's that's a great one these have been a lot of fun and thanks for sharing your your story of traveling through asia it just makes me want to quit all my responsibilities in life and go do the same thing it's a fantastic trip man really 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 cool um if you've enjoyed this and you enjoy all this talking about travel in asia consider doing what andrew h did and that's becoming a patron he must have clicked donate on our homepage, gone to patreon.com and sponsors the show from a few dollars a month upwards he gets a warm fuzzy feeling in his heart gets to keep hearing the show knowing help he's helping to cover the costs and he gets a special bonus episode or something something in between each of these episodes that can be a conversation that trevor and i have like talking about funny news stories we've read through asia or sometimes videos to become a patron so thanks for listening trevor thanks a ton for sharing these very fun stories yeah and people check out our show notes talktravelasia.com we'll have links on our show notes to some of these other episodes like the tantalizing travel tales one two three and four shopping in asia like uh there's definitely some more detail about some of these adventures in some of Mm -hmm. our throwback episodes so i'm going to make some links available on the show notes so that people can check those out thanks for joining us on talk travel asia we look forward to sharing with you again soon hey scott do you remember the time we walked on top of the wall at angkor tom and